Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to Unprofessional. I am Dave Wiskus, joined by my very good friend, Mr. Lex Friedman. You're my very good friend, too, Dave. I love you, man. I love you, too. And our guest today is the one and only John Syracuse. Does anybody love me? I also love John Syracuse. I'll take it. I, I like you a great deal. All right. I don't think John loves me back yet, but I think we could get there. I don't know if it'll happen within you know the next 45 minutes, but I think we'll get there eventually. It, it's like an arranged marriage. <laughs> Once John sees enough of me, we'll get there. <laughs> well, you develop a familiarity. And... I'm not talking about quantity. I'm talking about just an amount of me there is left to see that he hasn't Surface seen. Surface area is yeah. what you're getting at. <laughs> right. Like, you don't know, is my chest smooth or hairy? Like, one day you'll I know. know I know. We'll know Lex. each other better. I know. I am so turned on right now. <laughs> I don't think I ever told the story of my chest waxing on the show, but this might not be the time. I think this is the perfect time. We should lead with that. <laughs> it's, it's Come actually, on, right there in the open. Like, in the first five minutes of the show, let's hear about you waxing your chest. This sounds great. Boom. Let's wax my chest. It was a, it was a Hanukkah gift <laughs> for this <laughs> most recent Hanukkah. My, my wife gave me a, a gift card <laughs> to the waxing place. This was my idea. I said, I want to see what I look like without any chest hair. I think, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not a Robin Williams type body type situation. I'm a, I mean, I think normal, typical American male hairiness factor, but I wanted to see what it would like, it would look like smooth and waxed. <laughs> oh God, I'm crying. And the answer is, at least for like the first three days, is bright fucking red. That's what I was, was going like. to say. That would have been my guess. I expected it would, it would feel horrible and be extremely painful. And I way underestimated those two things. <laughs> I think this is your wife's secret uh, revenge uh, for childbirth. It could be, but it was my idea. She didn't know what to get me. That, I said, let's do this. That's the way this. it works. They make you think it's your idea. Yeah, they're pretty good. Yeah. Wives. I don't really have that hairy of a chest. I think, I don't, I don't think I, <laughs> I don't either anymore. Well. Well, it grows back. It has grown back. Yeah, I actually have a, a follow-up appointment uh, in less than a week's time as we speak right now. <laughs> do you get manicures? My dad does, but I do not. You should. It's delightful. All right, I'm going to start. Yep, I recommend it. I highly recommend it. I mean, if we're on the subject of manscaping. I don't do pedicures because I don't like people touching my feet, but uh, manicures oh. I, I quite enjoy. I love the hand massage. I love the lotions. I have kind of soft, girly hands anyway, so I feel like I should take care of that. You haven't been scared away by all the horror stories about hygiene in those manicure places? You have know. to. You have no. to. You have to go to like a decent place. I would bring my own supplies. Like when I went to the wax <laughs> place, they they do. Uh, they have a system wherein each stick is used one time. There's never any double dipping or anything like that. And when my wife gets her nails done, she takes her own equipment. You know, she's like, "You do it, but use my stuff to try to avoid some of the flesh eating bacteria." Yeah. Right. What What professionals do you pay, John, to make you more beautiful? <laughs> I don't have that kind of money. Uh, <laughs> I go to. The, I've you been know, going to the same guy who cuts my hair for. Uh, since since I lived here like 15 years or so. Uh, and that's it. Does he speak English? He does. What I loved about my childhood barber, who just died, uh, was that he had Playboy magazine in his barber shop. <laughs> now, my dad would always take me, so I could never, you know, look at it. But one time... When he picked me up, my dad picked me up after school. We went to Don Frymoyer's house because he did his haircuts right out of his house. Shannon Doherty was the was on the cover, and I watched nine hundred two one zero, and I had this massive crush on Shannon Doherty. And so while I did my homework, I secretly snuck the Playboy into my statistics notebook and then got it home that way. It was great. This is what life was like before the internet, kids. Yeah, seriously, I had <laughs> to steal you could just my Playboy. Type in Shannon Doherty naked. But anytime I see those pictures online, not that I would ever look, they bring back memories of my hair getting cut. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little weird. 
That's a that's a little weird. You know what's disgusting, by the way, while we're talking about haircuts, is the blue liquid they put the combs and brushes in. The barbicide? Yeah. Right. They don't change it. But it kill I, it kills it's like it's self cleaning. Well it's like mouthwash. You just is use it, the same stuff, right? Yeah. <laughs> the level keeps dropping. Like I was at this place that's two minutes from my house and like maybe sixty percent of the comb is submerged. And I'm thinking that there's forty oh. percent like yeah, they have to whatever. Keep it, they have to keep it topped off, right? Yeah, it's right. Disgusting. You're concerned about the the coverage, not like well, I'm concerned the about age both. of the liquid. Uh, first of all, oh, okay. I think they need to replace the liquid, and second of all, they need to be <laughs> tapping up that thing. It's got to be topped okay. off. Come okay. on. Well, I, you know, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. I'll say the place that I used to get my haircut until recently also had Playboys <laughs> on the uh, in the the entry area where you'd sit and wait for your person to come out. And I always found that a little weird. Yeah, I think I've been going to the wrong haircutting places. <laughs> I don't like. I I just don't think that's a good idea. I don't. I don't want to be sitting there with a bunch of guys with erections while I'm trying to get my haircut. I actually prefer to be surrounded by men with erections. I just feel like it's happier. Well, they give you the little <laughs> smock thing to like you know hide your shame or whatever. Who among us? Well, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, my, my barber has uh, car magazines, and I'm, I'm comfortable with that. Do those give you an erection? You can tell they, us. They, <laughs> do, they do not. Okay. Yet. You've got the wrong car magazines, too. <laughs> or at least the wrong car. It's not the kind with the woman on the hood of the car on the cover of the magazine. Um, but, if, if the car magazine doesn't have a swimsuit issue, is it really a car magazine? It really is. In name only. <laughs> Boy, this did not at all start the way I anticipated. No, this got weird. All right, this Mr. Got... Chesty Chester. Yeah, I wonder how that happened. I don't. I have no mm. idea. But John, just in case, I mean, I can't imagine. I, I have to think, and this has come up before, but the, the Venn diagram of people who listen to Unprofessional and people who don't know uh, who John Syracuse is must have a very, very minimal overlap. But just in case, tell the listeners who you are. Just give them a, a two-minute bio. Or less, a two-sentence bio, whatever's comfortable for you, John. I, I want have you so, to be happy so much with it. trouble doing any kind of bio, like when it comes to, even on my own website, where I was going to write it, like the about section, I have to write like a bio. Uh, the, the problem is, and this is appropriate for unprofessional, is that people know me for things that are not my job, right? So right. it's like they know me for my hobbies. So you can't say, you know, I am a, and then insert like activity or, or profession, because I'm not a really, like, you know, what I am is I'm, I'm a programmer. I do... Uh, back-end, front-end web development. That's what I've done for my entire career, but nobody knows me for that, right? So I can't say, you know, if I say I'm a web developer, they'd be like, who? Oh, I was looking for that, that guy who writes stuff. Well, so as as one of my hobbies, I write Oh, you want John for... Syracuse. I'm John <laughs> Syracuse. Yeah, right, you got it. I do write for uh, various websites about Apple and stuff like that. People probably know me for my really long reviews of Mac OS X, now known as OS X, uh, at Ars Technica, and uh, I've written for a bunch of other websites, including Macworld.com, and the print magazine Macworld, and websites that have long gone, uh, and, uh, you know, my own blog, and stuff like that. And for a while, I had a podcast on 5 by 5 called Hypercritical. Surprising number of people know me from the podcast. You two have probably experienced this, where, like, Lex has been writing for Macworld for, I don't know, six months, eight months, a year. Like, how long has it been? A little, uh, well, I've started four years ago as a freelancer and I've been employed for two years. Right. And then, and then, but suddenly having a podcast, like, oh, now everyone knows who Lex Friedman is like, well, I've been doing this thing. You know, you would think like writing for Macworld would be the thing that would get your name out there. But I, I found that once I had a podcast, yeah. like, oh, that guy, I know who that, maybe they just hear your voice and recognize it and can come up and, and say hi. But yeah, a lot right. of people know me from the podcast uh, that ran for a hundred episodes on five by five. I think maybe it's like an old media holdover thing. Like the idea of having your own show gives you a, a credibility that you wouldn't have just writing stuff. 
Well, people th- feel like they get to know you. Like, they, you know, it's the That's same thing where you point. listen to someone over and over again. It's like you, you feel like they're your friend, even though they have no idea who you are, right? So people feel comfortable. Hey, Lex, I know all these intimate details of your life, and I know your voice, and I know what makes you laugh, and I all know all this about you. It's like we're one-way friends already. Yeah, I, there's yeah. actually we have a listener in Saudi Arabia who tweets almost after every show to me about how he knows it's weird, but he really loves my laugh. I'm actually <laughs> extremely self conscious about my laugh, especially on this show where you only hear it. You can't also see that I'm like a normal human and not the extremely high. I don't feel like my face necessarily goes with my high pitched ridiculous laugh. But yes, it's I have no filter on the show in terms of you know I. There's nothing that I'm too embarrassed to say. There's things that I think well you know people aren't going to want to hear that, so I'll let it slide. But it's it's weird. You and I, I can understand the audience perspective on that because I feel the same way about every famous person who I've paid a lot of attention to in terms of their career or you know existence. Where I feel like I totally know enough about them that they should recognize my love and love me back. <laughs> it never even occurred to me until today. In fact, earlier today I got to thinking about how there are people out there who listen to this show who know me better than I know them, and they know the version of me that comes across on this show. I have to wonder, like, is this really who I am? Are they getting, are they even seeing, like, the real me? Or is this just, like, a window of, I don't know, it it's kind of to- freaked me out a little totally bit. This is totally not the, the, this is such a, I mean, even if you're being totally real on the show, it's not, it's like a fraction of your life. Like, right. It's yeah, a, and, and my rule on the show is I don't play a character. Like, I play a character on Twitter a little bit and, like, public speaking stuff. I kind of put up a, a bit of a front. There's a persona there. Uh, not to a point where I feel like I'm being fake, but I accentuate certain parts of my personality. On the show, I try to be as genuine as I can possibly be. But what's funny about that is even this, just the notion of this show is a contrivance, right? We wouldn't, I mean, you and I might sit around and talk if we weren't taping it and having listeners, but I don't know that we could convince John to join us. <laughs> uh, you probably could. A lot of the podcasts that I have been a part of have started and sometimes ended as just like a bunch of people talking and sometimes they just don't go anywhere. I think that's part of the, you guys have, I guess you did that too, because you did all those early shows where that you didn't release. Like right. you just got to talk it out before you figure out what it is that you're going to do. And sometimes you just throw away those. Yeah. yeah, well, those were all just me and Lex. And I think that was kind of us finding our voices and figuring out what we wanted to show. It to sounds be. to me like what we figured out was shit. We need another person. <laughs> <laughs> we're not nearly interesting enough on our own. We got to throw you a third person. You get sick of here. each other real quick, and then you're like, all right, well, sit here with awkward silence, so we should get somebody else. And then we get a three way awkward silence. But I mean, <laughs> even if. That sounds awkward hot, three-way. actually. I know. But even if. Even if we could have convinced you, John, to join us were this not a podcast, it still feels to me like, I know I know Dave's being genuine. I'm trying to be, you know, who I am. Uh, I don't know what the hell you're doing, John. But it seems to me that, you know, just by nature of what we're doing, it's still, well, in many senses, it's not a great uh, reflection of who we are because we're talking and making sure we take breaks when the other person talks. Like, it's, you know, it's, it's like the observer phenomenon. Like, and we don't have a camera on us, but we've got the microphones on us. So I think it makes everything a little bit different and heightened or something. This is getting very meta for me now. That's true. Definitely. We're treading into the territory of my dream show, which I want to do. I've, I've sort of talked about this publicly. I want to do a show that's just me and Lex where we talk about the show. <laughs> I want to do a meta show. I want to do a meta unprofessional. Simpsons did it. Actually, I did it as my last show on uh, that's right. Hypercritical. <laughs> uh, that just means it was a good idea. <laughs> right. I'm and sure it's can, been done before. We can finally do it well. <laughs> oh, don't no. do that. Don't be that guy, Lex. I just want everybody to know that during the day... Before we taped this podcast, John Syracuse had devoted, I don't know, not probably not more than 20 minutes total, but devoted uh, consistent time to making sure that he, I knew that he could mock and insult me repeatedly over instant message. I just feel like everybody should know that. That's not mocking and insulting. That's, uh, that's love. 
Right. Well, no, I, it felt like love. I was still. helping you. Was, you, were, you were helping me help you make your show right. better. <laughs> well, I want to talk about that, what you just said there, because you really, well, here's how I'm going to phrase this question. Where is this going? I feel like you have a reputation, particularly, you know, with Hypercritical, which is your brand, of identifying what are, at least to you, are problems or weaknesses or failings of whatever it is that you're observing. And oftentimes offering uh, solid suggestions on how to fix those failings. Is it, did you do special, and I don't mean this at all sarcastically, and this is a genuine question. Like, do you feel like you had special training or a special background to put you in that position to be able to have that level of criticism? Or is it just who you are, just how you've evolved as a human? Like, how did you get to be a hypercritical person, especially one that's like anybody can be a, you know, critical of stuff, but you're actually critical in the way that you also can say, this is what I'm observing that is wrong. And this is how that failing could be bettered. How did you get to, where does that talent come from? Is there like a place where you can train for that? Do you like have to like <laughs> carry buckets of water upstairs in Tibet and then a monk at the top instructs you? I don't, I don't think there is any. I mean, I guess you could. It could if, be you had a really dickish teacher or something. That's yeah, what I was guessing. If you have like a liberal arts education, you probably take some sort of like a rhetoric course or a logic and reasoning and stuff. But I, I went to school for engineering, so I didn't didn't have that. Uh, no, I don't know. It's just, it's just the way I am. Uh, and trying to harness it for good instead of evil you know what i mean like you don't because a lot of this uh, being this way and thinking of everything in these terms you come off as a jerk a lot of the time so it's 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 a constant struggle to try to rein that in and focus it towards something that will result in good things in my life instead of bad so you know doing a podcast where i complain about stuff that's 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 a constructive channeling of these uh these urges does it impact your ability to enjoy stuff? No, that's the thing about it. Like, I, I for for people who enjoy this type of stuff, and I think a lot of people on the incomparable like this too. Uh, talking about something and picking it apart heightens the enjoyment of the thing. Some some people it's the opposite. If they enjoy something, they don't want to hear anything about what was bad about it. It's like I enjoyed right. it. That's don't, the incomparable's <laughs> listeners. Don't tell don't tell me anything bad about it because I you know it makes them feel bad. Whereas if you have the other kind of personality, like it makes something that you liked thinking about the things you know the things you liked and things you didn't like about it makes the entire experience better not worse like way better you know like you're almost bursting at the seams to talk about this thing that was just you know fascinating and really interesting to you uh but but it had you know like how could it have been better why was it good what things weren't good about it and you know like it, you know, it's almost like the, the worst sin is to be boring, where you don't have any strong feelings in one direction or another. Right. The time uh, that I feel most in tune with you, John, is I. what my thing is in that respect is that when I watch movies or television shows, without actively trying to do it, uh, I actually do watch movies and television shows, but when I do it, I spot uh, continuity mistakes without thinking. I know that about you because I listen to your show. Thank mm-hmm. you. And so for me, and it's, you know, I, my wife is very tolerant of it, <laughs> although many others I've known haven't been. I see the, the visual, uh, the audio asterisk at the end of the I think <laughs> I think that for people like us, the three of us could sit down and watch a movie or a show together and complain about these things and pick it apart. And, and we would enjoy that. I think to normal people, that is the worst kind of irritation. That's the worst kind of ruining the experience. It depends on the context, though, because, like, although, I mean, I, I can relate to the people who have something they really love and don't want to hear someone pick it apart, because sometimes you do just want to have the experience. A lot, a lot of things, like, will go, certain people will go into something and say, okay, this is the thing where I'm just 
to get enjoyment out of this, I'm going to have to MST3K it. Like, I'm, that's how it's going to work. Whereas if if the person next to you is going in the way I would go into, like, watching a Miyazaki movie or something, I'm going in with a different mindset where the, I'm just going to sit back and let this thing wash over me and enjoy it. And afterwards, maybe I'll think about it and think about it and analyze it and everything. But during, I don't want someone pointing out to me the continuity errors in, in the animation and, you know, some uh, movie that I really love. And it, that's that mismatch is where you get into trouble, where if you're sitting down to romantic comedy with your wife and she just wants to watch it and enjoy it and you want to mercilessly make fun of it that is a bad match i tend to do it after the fact when i'm seeing the movie or the show for the first time i kind of want to just take it in for what it is and then make my judgments and i'm thinking about stuff as i go but i don't really want to have a conversation about it in real time but then there's things like that last batman movie where i sat through it and i didn't say a word and i walked out of the theater and since i walked out of the theater almost non-stop since that moment i've been complaining about that movie i think the thing that that the, what stuck out to me when john was just talking about you know if i'm watching a movie that i don't want you to criticize it's really annoying is i used to i i finally gotten over it i think it took maybe 20 something years but i used to have this issue where if i had a song or a band that i really liked and i wanted to play it for you for me because of the way i enjoy music i needed you to shut up and listen to it especially because i i'm a fan of lyrics a lot and I wanted you to hear the words and when people would talk or clearly not be paying attention and not hearing the incredible insights or bits of wordplay or whatever that were on a play it was very frustrating to me especially if they're like well you know I don't like this part and then they're missing other things while they're telling me about the thing they don't like it just that used to make you're me lucky they're paying enough attention to criticize part of it I long ago gave up on ever trying to like you gotta listen to the song listen to it because it just yeah I have a zero percent success rate with anyone even paying <laughs> like it was just all right well this is not a thing because it's it's obnoxious i can imagine someone doing it to me and say you gotta listen to this song and it's some like genre i don't like like maybe i'll be polite or whatever but it's not that's not how if you're really trying to convert people to some band or, or something that you really like you have to you have to kind of work it from the the side and let them discover it on their own time when they're ready to listen yeah you kind of have to divorce yourself from the outcome you just have to put it in front of them and hope that they take it yeah that's not that's not easy to do but like yes i find i found that so disheartening i, I did that i you know i guess i didn't learn it soon enough because i you know i stopped doing it for years and years but then when jonathan colton came along i was like all right this is so fantastic that other people who are like nerds and you know uh, programmers and like just have exactly the same interest in me surely surely this will just like all right so normally i wouldn't make you listen to something but like seriously listen to this like this is right up your alley you are guaranteed to love it and then and nothing like they didn't they want to listen past three sentences they're done they're off talking to me about something else it's like no don't you understand i didn't know you were a colton fan <laughs> Oh, he's a huge Colton fan. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We did a podcast together once about Colton. Actually, I, I, that's true for both of you. I was talking to John. <laughs> we also did one about Colton, and uh, he was there. John has never stopped <laughs> feeling some jealous rage over that. I, I, I'm resigned to the fact that everybody that I know will be close personal friends with all of the <laughs> celebrities that I most love, and I will never meet any of them. <laughs> uh, I, I got to ask, are you, are you a They Might Be Giants fan? Oh, don't <laughs> ask this. This is going to hurt me I'm, now. I'm not. Like, I, do, I don't have anything against them. I don't dislike them. I have some, they might be giant CDs, but listen to them in the car with the kids and stuff. It just never was my cup of tea. So I don't, I don't dislike them. I don't have anything bad to say about them, really. It just, it's just never been something that I'm into. So uh, yeah, let's, this, try, this let's am... try to use that to torment me. Speaking of people doing mean things over I am, <laughs> torment me with all of the wonderful, but luckily, uh, they might be giants. Like I said, once you had Colton on, you can't do anything worse to hurt me. So that was it. I mean, we don't have to go into this because we talked about it on an episode of the 
the incomparable, which at this point is sponsoring this episode of Unprofessional. When we talked about it, you the the reasons that you give for liking Jonathan Colton and then saying that you're not a big fan of the MAP Giants, it didn't make any sense to me. I'll never understand it. I listened to the episode again just to see if I had misunderstood you, and I didn't. It just doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't compute in my mind. What remind me again what those reasons were? Well, that's... you first you talked about how you want the music to be really good first, right? I, that's what I listen to first. Like a lot of, it's just, you know, the, my way into a song is I'm listening to the music. And if the music doesn't catch me, uh, I'm unlikely to have repeat listenings of it. And that doesn't mean that I don't eventually come to appreciate the song as a whole. But that's that, That's my way into a song. It's got to, music has got to grab me. It just feels to me like they have so much in common musically between those two performers that it's i don't know i don't get it yeah i mean maybe it could be that i just haven't had enough exposure or the right exposure there's plenty of bands that you know i i'm i my my musical taste is very very narrow and it's not like i'm i'm pretend you know boxing things out and not letting new things in it's just that music was never like i you know i, I was not a, a consuming music voraciously like other you know people were i just wasn't it doesn't mean i don't really love the music that i love but i don't like seek out new music and i have a very narrow palette of music that i like and when i find something new that i like it's fantastic and i love it and i get heavily into it but uh i don't know i'm just picky i guess i'm the same way <laughs> you think even even being a musician and music i like music is my first love i have a really hard time accepting when people suggest things to me like what's the what's the uh the most recent go back like 10 years and say how many new bands have you gotten into like that have come out in the last 10 years not like someone said someone let you like rediscover dylan or something i'm saying like <laughs> a band didn't exist and then it comes along it exists and and you try it out and you like it, and it gets added to your like list of uh you know artists that you like i would say i would say it happens once a year but it doesn't it never comes in through somebody saying you have to check out this band i think i think the last time that somebody recommended a band i mean i liked it was somebody recommended the black keys what about you lex uh it happens less than that for me and i would say that it's it's always very random the way the music is introduced to me yeah like people recommend music all the time everyone's like oh you gotta listen to this band like i just tune it out because it's like i know there's a 99.999 percent chance i won't like that <laughs> Uh, because I don't like it, you know, I don't like anything. But, and the other thing is that some people say their musical tastes like freeze around all the other like is the bands that were like popular when they were in high school and they will never add to that. So for like kids growing up in the seventies, it's, you know, they, they're just like seventies classic rock and nothing new after. And I'm not like that either. Like I, I feel like I'm open to new music. It just happens. It's less, far less than once a year. Like I can think after how many new artists I had a radiohead slotted in pretty easily of like the, you know, the the new band that had the least trouble penetrating my musical taste. There was, I was like, yep, that's for me, exactly that. And I just have every one of their albums, and it was like, you know, no problem. Uh, who after that? Lady Gaga snuck in. That's a, that's a, wow, uh, an this is totally bizarre to me. An artist that pairing. everyone was like, oh, Lady Gaga, big pop. And you just you just immediately like reject it. You're like, give me a break. Like, some stupid pop thing, right? Like That's never going to penetrate. But somehow, like enough people that I knew sent me the right tracks at the right time and i listened i actually listened to one or two of them instead of just you know dismissing it and i decided that i like her music and she has talent and uh you know but like i'm trying to think in between there there's probably a couple other bands that snuck in and of course you know the ongoing relationship you a fan of the justin bieber no no now like <laughs> I, I wouldn't like that's how before knowing anything about either one of those artists that's how i would categorize them both as being exactly the same but now that have actually listened to Lady Gaga. I do not file her away with Justin Bieber. Uh, but, you know, like, I, I, it's an ongoing relationship with the artists that you do like. So, you know, I'm still, I was buying R.E.M. albums until they broke up, right? I 
Bruce Springsteen is kind of tapered off, but he has a, a deep catalog. You know, it's just well, John. When you find a band that you like, are you the kind of guy where now I'm going to go get I'm going to get the full back catalog. I'm going to get everything that this ever done. Because for me, if, with music or with television shows and uh, with writers, like if I find out that I like a song that you did i gotta get everything and i'm if if i like one episode of the tv show i'm gonna watch the entire series i want to consume all of the content created by people who are making things i like yeah i will do that i'm looking at my little itunes mini mini player and seeing that amy mann snuck in in the middle there too even though she's been around for a while and not technically that new once i got into i think bachelor number two i got into her and then just expanded outward from there and bought everything that she makes and now i just get every album that that she puts out i'm a completionist but i've learned that i have to do it uh, an album at a time if i really like the song i'll buy the album the song was on and then i'll kind of branch out from there because i got into this habit a long time ago of buying everything based on one song and i kept finding that i only really like that one song yeah i don't do i don't do that like I, I expand out slowly you know i got bachelor number two i'm like oh okay maybe this was a fluke but then you know i was like hey wait a second this is the person from voices carry and i like that song and that was a long time ago and then i start to put the pieces together on the people i'm like wait a second if the same person who was singing on Voices Carry, and I, and I like her songs here on this Bachelor Number 2 album, and I didn't even know it was the same person. There must be something to that person that, like, that's what it comes down to. It's like, that's kind of with the Lady Gaga thing. Is she just, you know, some manufactured pop star for, who used to star on the Mickey Mouse Club and is just, you know, singing away or whatever? Or is there something there? And, you know, I pretty quickly decided with her, and the same with Amy Mann, that no, wait a second, this is this is someone who was, you know... In, in those trappings of, you know, 80s pop or whatever. But underneath all that was a really talented per- person whose uh, point of view and musical taste that I really connect with. And that's that's how my relationship forms. This episode brought to you by Amy Mann. I'm just stunned. I, I have no problem with the Amy. I mean, I'm not an Amy Mann fan, but I can I can understand it. But I'm just stunned by this stuff with Lady Gaga. She For is me, very talented. I, I don't I don't disagree at all. I think I think she is talented. But when you look at you know the stuff from before she had a ridiculous name and ridiculous hairstyle and face and costuming face when she was just you know I think her name is Stephanie, Stephanie or somebody yep. when she was just performing at a piano and singing normal songs like a normal human being that to me was interesting. That was music. I, could, I mean not that I knew it at the time, but when you see those YouTube clips or whatever of, of Stephanie performing as a human being, that's <laughs> interesting. But when she's doing this like larger than life. But I'm not. I don't. I don't care what. I don't care what she's wearing. I don't care about the dance stuff. Like, no, no, no. I'm not saying. I'm just saying that the, the. But now the the instrumentation she's using and the lyrics and the things she's singing about. Like I. I, I don't know. To me, it, it all sounds totally ridiculous. I think that there's a showmanship to it. I appreciate that. I think that I've, I have a ton of respect for Lady Gaga because she is completely honest about who she is and what she's doing. And also, if you happen to like, like I said, I liked Radiohead, I like New Order. Like if if you would like kind of electronica type music. I mean, again, the music the music appeals to me. I think one of the first songs I heard. Was was the album version of Paparazzi, which is just filled with, like, not synthesizers, but, you know, like, I don't know if there's any real instruments in that thing. It's just buried in just electronic noise. Uh, And I like that. Like, I mean, I I like (laughs) electronic, dancey type music, not, you know... Maybe we can agree on something that we can all hate together. Like, for me, I, I mostly with very few exceptions, hate this genre that seems to be dominating a lot of pop radio today of sort of, I don't know the best way to describe it, but like wimpy sounding white guys whining. <laughs> That's, you're thinking of R.E.M. No, no, R.E.M. I can get into. I don't own R.E.M. Are you listening to my stuff? No, I'm talking about like your, your John, you wouldn't compare yourself to John Mayer. Oh, God, or never. Jason Mraz, never. Or the the guy who's like uh your bub jack johnson like there's this whole thing of i'm gonna sing in my really laid-back voice and sing like i don't talk yeah and you know just <laughs> about stupid idiot and try to what i hate is manufactured meaningful lyrics like what i, I love they might be giants because of their lyrics and they'll have lyrics that are clearly 
meant to be unpacked or that they're deliberately trying to turn a phrase you know when you've got these ridiculous lyrics that these guys are putting out where it's like clear they're like oh this is a good in- this is gonna move people that's what i mean i just i, hate I could do a hundred page teardown of john mayer I fucking hate that guy. i think i could turn you around on lady gaga like and this is this is the the, the I'm, di- I'm open to you the duo that, that, that did it for me like so i think paparazzi was the first one i heard and i'm like all right so Such a I, weird show i think that song is interesting lyrically from a pop perspective knowing that she was coming from like kind of a like a madonna wannabe place which is where i was you know slotting her before i knew much about her uh doesn't when she's buried in in and you know electronic noise like that you don't get to hear too much of her vocals or anything uh and then i heard her do that song live on like a radio station where you come into the radio and you play a song it's just her and a piano and a piano and she does that exact same song and the combination of those two songs not anyone individually but the combination of those two uh said something to me it was like she's producing this thing in the studio this crazy thing and maybe this is all her producer i don't know who her engineer is or whatever i don't know how much of this is even her but then this <laughs> is just her and a piano doing the same song and i'm saying this is the same person and she's got the ability to do both of those things i feel like she's she's like making a pincer move on my musical taste and saying uh, you you can't escape this is I, i've got you flanked uh, I'm talented. I can do this. I can do that. You like both of these things. You're trapped. All right. Well, I've written it down. You wait. Did you say two songs or one song performed two different ways? One song. Both I can, ways. I'll send you. I'll send you All the right. audio files for it. I mean, like if it doesn't, if you don't like that kind of music, like do, do you like any kind of? I don't, I don't even know, know how to categorize these because I know so little. I love a lot of music. Did, did you ever? Have you ever? Heard I'm going to check from, it out. Uh, from New Order. That's the no. only other sort of nothing. No, I'm. Well, you no. have. You just don't know it. And, uh, that's bizarre love triangle maybe. nothing you, See, I, I, I gave up on the radio a while ago when that i realized on the radio well no but i'm saying when i when i realized to your point earlier about how a lot of people find the music they like in high school and then never change i just i definitely have added plenty of music since high school but when i realized that my tastes did not match to my great chagrin with what mainstream music love was then i was like well you know what i'm not going to bother listening to the radio i'm going to listen to the my music and discover it you know mostly now through the internet i only ever listen to my iphone in the car yeah, the sad thing about my musical taste though really is that nearly 50 percent, sometimes more than 50 percent of the music that i listen to on a daily basis like when working or whatever is music from uh, video games and and uh japanese animation i find that my appreciation of music is colored heavily by the fact that i'm a musician like if I know if I know what the chords are to a song, and I if like if I can play the song on a guitar, the mystery of the song kind of goes away, and I just see the parts, and it becomes very clinical for me at that point. It doesn't make you enjoy it more because I had the same experience as a freshman in college. I think it's the rule. It was the rule on my floor anyway when I was a freshman undergraduate that everyone who did not know how to play guitar when uh, when coming onto that floor was required <laughs> to learn. And so I did, like, you know, not really play, but just, like, enough to play chords and stuff. And the internet was there. It was, like, 1993. So I downloaded Guitar Tab in ASCII art format for every one of the songs that I loved. And, like, my roommate was totally into, you know, uh, heavy metal type music. or well, not heavy metal. But I don't know what you would call it. Like, you know, Ozzy Osbourne, Randy Rhodes. Like, you know, well, that's metal. Yeah. And he was into that type of thing. And I wasn't before. And so he would play Crazy Train 800 times. And I, then I would download the, the Guitar Tab for it and try to figure it out. And it, I thought it, it heightened my enjoyment being able to, like, listen to it and say this there's a slim chance that i can play some part of that what was just played there on my crappy acoustic guitar and i'd sit there in the room tooling away and uh, and do that and, and it made me like it well the interesting part is that the the process of listening to a song once i can play a song the process of listening to that song the original recording becomes very clinical but my passion for the song continues in the playing of the song i just did on um, another mule radio show it might get personal i did a cover of uh, brown eyed girl and that's a song I love to play, but I don't think I've listened to the original recording in years. 
Because it just, it does, I know the song backwards and forwards now. It does nothing for you me. You clearly haven't been to a bat mitzvah recently. <laughs> you make that song your own, Dave. Now, now it's not their song anymore. Now it's my well, song. Well, it's, it's more that my enjoyment comes out of the, the trying to carry the torch forward rather than what I was listening to before. Well, that's kind of like what, you know, the rock band video game and that whole genre is like, you know, people who can't actually play music want that experience of playing music. And you don't even have to come that close because it just it's a different experience of like listening to it and enjoying it. That's why people play air guitar or, you know, air keyboards on their car dashboard or whatever. You want to have some participation in this thing that's happening and the closer you can get that. And you're, if you can play the song, you can actually do it. You say, I don't need the original song anymore. It's all me. Yeah. Music is very visceral in that way. Once you, yeah, that's a good point. Once you can do it, you don't need other people to do it for you. I, I don't play keyboard well at all. I, I took one lesson, which I think I've talked about, but you know, I, I had this ridiculously large Casio keyboard that when you played different notes at once, it would, it would identify what chord you were playing. And that was what taught me, you know, what major chords were and minor chords were and minor major sevenths and all the, you know, everything I learned about how to play the keyboard was from this Casio keyboard's ridiculous feature of identifying what you were playing. But to me, you know, when I looked up chords for songs, I'm always amazed uh, even now, when I understand the theory behind it better and understand how to play it a little bit better, that, you know, wow, they took just these same four chords and played them in this order and in this way, and it made this totally different sounding song that I really enjoy. And I'm always, I, for me, it's, what, most people, if you reveal how to do a magic trick, they're like, oh, well, so you cheated and lied and that's bullshit. And now I'm much less amazed than I was. But for, I, I always love like, oh, that's how you did that magic trick. That's how it works. And how great is it that you can get this enormous payoff with that stupid sneaky thing? And I think the same thing with music. You know, I hear, oh, wow, you totally just use these four chords in this order, but it it works. And I love, I love knowing the secret yes but once you know the secret of how to do a magic trick the fun for you isn't in watching the trick being performed anymore true or if it is it's in the like the uh well clinical the like you're you're assessing the, Figure, the craftsmanship of, yeah. of or the, the or the jazz of it right of, of right. watching how are they yeah exactly do the uh, the aristocrats thing uh, but the the real fun for you is performing the trick or that's the the way you really get your jollies yes that's how i mostly get my jollies i just want to say <laughs> get your jollies by the way, speaking of great covers, Glee did this phenomenal cover <laughs> uh, of Baby Got Bag. You guys should check that out sometime. Uh, those <laughs> bastards. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, which is probably three of you, uh, Glee very infamously ripped off our good friend Jonathan Colton's cover of Baby Got Back. Not that they ripped off the fact that he did a cover. They That, that would have been fine. I mean, doing a cover is doing a cover. But they took his arrangement, which was very unique, and uh, pretty much just, just did it like note for note they even left in the uh, johnny c's in trouble what i want to know right now john is when you heard dave say very unique did you get upset <laughs> didn't you you weren't you on him about very unique and a past show as well uh, he got I, the last thing i remember was him getting on me about pronouncing the t and often <laughs> i stopped listening after that <laughs> to the show or to me to you it's i fine. love the show <laughs> i just edit out the lex parts <laughs> two-thirds of this show is awesome yeah you know that, that uh the, the baby got back thing with glee that's a weird situation because so much of it has to do with the specifics of the power dynamics between a network television program and this other guy and so little of it has to do with like artistry the law morality and it's just it's just because there's such a power imbalance between these two things that we all see what fox did is just you know they weren't nice right but 
if you come at it almost any other angle, it's like, well, legally, okay, well, they're in the clear. They know they're in the clear. Fine. Whatever. Uh, morally, were they doing anything wrong? Morally, not really, because it's kind of like they were just doing a bad cover of someone else's song. But we all agree that they're big jerks because it's the, because of the power imbalance. It's like, look, you're you're Fox. You're a gigantic corporation. This is a, a nationally televised popular TV show, and you're taking something that is, you know, that that, that is a great achievement of, of an artist who, though very popular, is is much smaller than Fox, and you're just taking it because you can. And, I'm so happy you're saying you know. this, John, because now I have something I can really disagree with you about. Ooh. I mean, I, yes, I agree that what Fox did was terrible and I, uh, you know, very unhappy. But to me, it's that's just one piece of the of the three things about it to make me angry. One, it's the big guy versus little guy and the the total awkward power imbalance. But two is I do think it's it's I think it's definitely morally wrong, especially when you say, well, we're going to give you exposure by doing this, and they had no intention of giving them exposure. Well, that, that's just them lying. I mean, that's not... right, right. But I mean, it's but, <laughs> but it's, it's like the, the fact. The act of uh, the act of making a like note for note lame reproduction of someone else's song, it's not an achievement or anything, but it's not. No, but I'm saying I do think I find it morally reprehensible to say I'm going to just steal your song and and not credit you. Right. For the it. fact that the words were already somebody else's doesn't make it okay to steal the music. Right. But the third thing that pisses me off is what the show is. Like if Law and Order SVU had done it, it would have been bad, but it wouldn't have been as offensive to me as a show with Glee that's supposed to be about music and paying tribute to artists, and it's about underdogs. <laughs> it's about like the not as cool and popular kids standing up and making a name for themselves, and they. Jonathan is the little guy, and I don't know. Yeah, well, like, it, because the power imbalance was reversed in the original thing. The original thing, it was some dude who just quit his job as a programmer taking a song from some rich, famous guy with a very popular song. And that was like, that's the, the appropriate way of you're like, okay, well, so you're, you are trying to make a name for yourself. You just quit your job. Who knows if this is even going to work? It's okay for you to, you know, never mind that it was, you know, completely above board and he got the license or whatever. But say he didn't. Say he just totally said, I'm going to do a cover. Baby got back. I don't understand the legalities of all. I'm just going to do it. Everyone would be like, that's okay, because that's the way it's supposed to work. Like the big guy, you know, the little guy gets help for that. This was the reverse, and that's why it was so terrible. It's because, they're, you know, Fox is not this little guy getting a boost from the, the popularity of Jonathan Colton, right? And so it's it's like standing on the shoulders of midgets. It's not, <laughs> it's not the way it's supposed to work. Uh, that 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 is the most offensive thing to me just in terms it's like it's almost more of an etiquette uh issue or just not being a jerk on the internet issue than it is the other things because i think like i'm i'm big on the whole you know i don't know if you listen to my podcast but i'm all anti-patent and i'm not anti-copyright but i could be persuaded that there could be some benefits that like sort of you know everything is a remix everything is open for everybody hoarding things to yourself is bad share and share alike and i think even Jonathan Colton would agree with that right up until the point that when, you know, you are being a jerk about it. And you're being a jerk if you are Fox and Glee and it's no skin off your back to just make pick up the phone and ask if this is okay and, you know... Like if he, if if they had done that, they put it, pick up the phone. And, and say, hey, and honestly, I don't even this. think they had to do that. I don't think it's about. My, I mean, I don't care if they don't pay him a dime. To me, what would have been the Glee thing to do if Glee were true to its roots would be to say, "Hey, check out this awesome cover I heard that Jonathan Colton did." Like as a character on the show. Of yeah, this he, song. yeah, he could have had him on the show. But the thing is, like at the very <laughs> least, call him up and say, "We like your song. We're thinking of putting it on the air. Uh, is that okay with you?" Speaking of things we like, yes. I think we should take a moment and, uh, well, here's where we'll edit in the sponsor break. I was going to say, you do these things live. They, don't, they sure don't sound live. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, we're trying to fix that. Uh, Dave's trying to fix it. I don't give a shit about it. All right, so let's pause for a moment and uh, acknowledge this episode's sponsor. Just one sponsor today because they have a ton of apps they want us to talk about. So many apps. It's Ecamm. 
ecam.com, E-C-A-M-M. That's two M's as in M&M, ecam.com. So here's the list of apps they have for us to talk about, Dave. You ready for this? I'm ready. Fasten your seatbelt. <laughs> Maybe you've been doing this whole uh, standing treadmill desk thing for too long, but chairs don't have seatbelts on them, sir. I forgot. Thank you. So we've got eyeglasses three, which uh, it's basically like a, a, a live eyesight FaceTime camera filter. So you can apply video filters to your camera before it goes through Skype or iChat or FaceTime or anything else. Printopia for Mac, which turns any printer into an AirPrint printer and also lets you print to any open app on your Mac. It's pretty great. So you find your iOS device, you go to print, and then it can print because you have Printopia installed on your Mac. It's wonderful. I use it every single day for work. Phone View for iPhone and iPad lets you see all the files, documents on your actual iOS device, and you can get call logs and voicemails and data and all that. And then Call Recorder for Skype. Dave, have you ever heard of Call Recorder? I'm using Call Recorder right now. I, too, am using Call Recorder right now. We use Call Recorder every time we record this show. It's, it's a Skype plug-in that yep. records both sides of the conversation. Or if there's multiple participants, it records all sides of the conversation. And then you can take the finished recording and split it into two tracks, one that's just you and one that's everything else. It makes my job editing the show so much easier because I can just line stuff up and... It's all there and recorded, and we don't have to fiddle with stuff. Uh, and we recommend it to our guests when they what come I, on the show. Yeah, exactly. And when guests are like, how do I record my end? We say two words, call recorder. And then we say four more words. Didn't you read email? See, if it was five words, I could have said, didn't you read the email? Because we already explained to them they should use call recorder. But everybody forgets. But anyway. If only you had counted before you started talking. I don't do that. The thing I like about all of Ecamm's apps Two-way one is that they are all good. They do exactly what they're supposed to do. They're easy to figure out. You don't have to read an instruction manual for Call Recorder. It's pretty self-explanatory. It's true for Pintopia, Eyeglasses, PhoneView. I love them. I literally, you know, it's always nice when you can have a sponsor who you actually like their stuff. And I really, really, really like Ecamm stuff. Ecamm.com. They're great, great people, good friends, and friends of the show. Speaking of great people and good friends and friends of the show, if you qualify as all of those things, which I hope you do, you, the listener, make sure you go and rate us on iTunes. You go to iTunes and search for Unprofessional and you write a review about how wonderful we are. You go to Twitter.com slash Unprofessional. You go to Facebook.com slash Unprofessional. Connect with us. We, we want to hear from you and we love you. We want to engage with you socially on vertical platform markets. We want to, we want to leverage as much of the, uh, you know, the, the socialization as we can because that's, that's, we're all about that kind of networking. We want a two-factor growth effect. Gamify. Yeah. App. Anyway, so we're back. And we're back with John Syracuse. <laughs> yeah, I was hoping that we could have one of those like adversarial episodes where you like insult my upbringing and religion like you did when you had faith on. That's what I was hoping, but I think we have too much common ground. I think we need to have faith back on the show just so we can insult her some more. <laughs> No, but I have a thing. Maybe not to sort. Well, do you want to talk about faith? Is that what you're trying to segue into? Yeah, hey, Dave's the host. <laughs> you're talking to talking to me or John? Both. I think we both really want to sit around talking about faith. Can we just do an entire show about faith? <laughs> I think you did that. That was the show when you insulted her. I mean, and she was also on the right. show. Right. doesn't. It's not really the same. I'm going to shift away from faith because I don't have as much to say as you do. <laughs> I love my wife, but um, John, I love your mountain lion or your os10 reviews i should say i think they're great um did you read them i've read them all i've skimmed them i've read them all i instapaper them <laughs> and i i read them slowly and i i don't read them the day they come out i mean i start them the day they come out but i i digest them page by page but i think i've read the first two pages of all of them i, I, I see 
I see two problems. Problem one is, and and I think you've even said this, that you don't always consider them reviews so much as, I don't know what you say, but like, like you know, an analysis or a, a, a play-by-play of what's going on because that sometimes they get so copiously detailed that you're not always evaluating what you're seeing as much as you are describing. And that's, that to me is the minor of the problem. minor But... Yes, I feel like what's <laughs> you're going to give me show that very unique, and you're going to say minor and think that you're going to get by with it. Fuck that. Yes, no, I'm calling you I out. What I think Max. is happening, that's fine. Okay. I like to make up words. I'm Shakespeare right, over man. here. But what what bothers me now is that I think that it, there are some in our community of tech writers who have decided, well, this is what it means. You know, to do a uh, to do a great review of a major Apple thing means I've got to. I'm not going to cut anything. I'm going to just write and write and write and write, and the longer the better. Now, there are things in life where longer is better. Um, for example, ladders. I don't. It's not your fault, even though you are patient zero. Do you think it's a problem that everybody now is saying, well, Syracuse is going to have an 87-page review, so I'm just going to write as much as I want? Yeah, I think when, when people start citing that stat, like uh, how many words their thing is, even when oh, they're, just, ta- even when they're just talking about mine, even when they're saying, boy, look at this thing. Isn't it impressive? It's X number of words. Like no second party involved, just me. I don't like it when someone... The only thing or the most most important thing they can say about what I wrote is how long it is, because as far as I'm concerned, the length is not what you're going for there. You know, like it's not it's not the important factor. And and you're right that it, the way I do reviews is different than like different than it would be in a different context, because Ars Technica is a different kind of website where the people who are going there aren't just going there to find out what are the major features, what you know, give me an overview, make make it so that I know when I install it, I know what I'm getting right. Uh, that's one role that, that a website can have. But Ars Technica is also about explain to me the technical underpinnings. Explain to me uh, what this means uh, for the future of the OS and how it relates to the past of the OS. And that's things that most people have no interest in, except people who are coming to Ars Technica. It's like they have articles about you know how the cache hierarchy of a CPU works and you know all sorts of very in-depth things about... And that's, that's what the site was founded on. So in that context, I feel my reviews are appropriate. And there's sort of a, a continuity from you know, the same person doing the reviews all through the years that there's some overall technical arc of how the OS is developing and also like a corporate financial uh, philosophical arc of the OS. And I feel like I'm providing a through line there as well. But that's not appropriate for all contexts. So if you're just writing on your blog about, hey, I installed Mountain Lion, here's what I thought of it, unless you have people coming to your blog and expecting you to explain to them how access control lists work or something, that it's like a non sequitur. You're just like, what? Yeah, uh, no, never mind. I mean, that people say the same thing about my reviews. If you don't want that, and you read my review, you're going to leave. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't also do, like the other version of this is where you do the exhaustive review, where you give a screenshot and a one paragraph explanation of every single thing that changed in the OS. And I don't do that, despite how long my review is. Like, I, what was it? I think Lion or something. I did an entire review of Lion that was really, really long. I didn't mention AirDrop once. Not a single mention, not a single screenshot, nothing. And that's like a total failure if, like, if you did the macro review on, on like, three pages and you don't even mention AirDrop. I mean, you've, right. not, you've not done your job, right? But, I, you know, so it's not like, oh, it's so long and comprehensive. It's not. I just, I, it's, it's just different. It's, it goes into depth in different areas. Right. And I, I think you've nailed it. You know, because, like, I mean, sites that I like and sites that I'm not as big a fan of where they do every, when they want to break down every single feature and call that a review, it's not a review. It's exhaustive, but it's, it's something different. Not, you know, Macworld will have a review and then we'll have the, here's the breakdown of this feature by this person. Here's, you know, a closer look at this feature by this person. And that doesn't irk me as much. And we're not, Macworld's certainly not the only site that does that. But I just, this notion that I'm going to try to, 
to include every single thing here. Length be damned and editing be well, damned. As, 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 as the so. end user, I'm more interested in, in one feature over another feature. I don't need to see uh, the, the super high-level everything. Because I probably got that by watching the keynote. Yeah, like right. a good example is who did it? Did Frakes do the installation review for Lion? He does it, all the installation like guides, yeah. umpteen different ways to install Lion. And I, I talked about installation in my review, but there's no way I could provide the depth of coverage that he, he was sitting in like a lab installing Lion 8,000 times, right? Uh, if, if, but if you're doing a Google search and you're like, I'm trying to deal with some idiosyncrasy of installing Lion, you want to find Anne Frank's article, not mine, right? And the same thing with the screenshot things. You're like, oh, that's not a review. Sometimes I just want to see when did they change that screen from looking like that to right. looking like that? And I'm glad someone's out there doing the ridiculous you know, screenshot by screenshot diff against the previous version of the OS. Like in the, in the wider internet, there's, there's room for everything. Uh, but I think like the value I'm adding is sort of historical context, technical depth on the few things that I'm interested in and trying, trying to, if you read all the reviews and if you're one of those people who reads all these reviews, trying to show like there is an overall story here. There is like a, like a Dickens like novel of the development of this <laughs> OS. And for people who are interested in it at that level, I, I think I'm providing that. And most other things aren't because it's not appropriate for, right. for the context that they're being published in. I think as somebody who sees details and uh, will spot the inconsistencies and also appreciates details, that's kind of a burden. And I always enjoy it when somebody else is willing to take on that burden for me and find those details. I'm not even going to call them flaws because a lot of them are good. But when somebody else can spot those things for me, I, I call that a win. Yeah, it's kind of like, I mean, uh, my reviews, I've said this a couple of times, it's just like, if you just go to WWC and sit through every session, you don't need to read my review because all I do is do like a, a, a summary of that with some opinions added. And they're <laughs> like, oh, all you're doing is summarizing WWC with opinions added? Yep, that's what I'm doing. But the thing is, you know how long it takes to sit through WWDC? It's a week, and you're there for eight hours a day, and it's exhausting, and your brain will explode. It's <laughs> actually easier to read my review than to sit through a million sessions and take notes at WWDC and understand it all, right? I'm looking forward to the 18-page review of this show. I mean, I appreciate that these people who are writing these insanely long reviews have, you know, are passionate about Apple and about the new product, but I just wish they were a little bit more passionate about the craft of writing and editing. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the Everyone's thing, Lex. Critic, everybody, Lex. everybody is a great writer, and that's why we all have blogs and we're all super popular. <laughs> you know, thanks, Internet. If you can't write, just uh, hide behind a paywall. Too mean? <laughs>